Hey there, this is Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Weisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week we are going on to the fourth installment of the Harry Potter series, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, released in 2005. So far, of the four of these, this one may be my least favorite. I would agree with you. This is my least favorite. I still enjoyed it. It just felt so fast. Yeah, it definitely was more rushed than the other ones. And the book that this movie is based on is significantly larger than the previous movies. Like, just to give you an idea, Prisoner of Azkaban was 300-something pages long. Goblet of Fire is about 700-and-something pages long. Ah. So, <laughs> so it's, yeah. So it's like the opposite problem of The Hobbit, where The Hobbit is 200 pages long and you tried to make three movies, and this movie is 700 pages long and you tried to make one movie. Yes. Well, actually, originally, they threw around the idea of making this book into two movies, but the director decided to just cut a bunch of different plots instead that were in the book that weren't necessarily 100% relevant to the main plot I guess like for example there's a whole subplot where Dobby returns as a free elf working at Hogwarts and Hermione after discovering a whole underbelly of house elves that work in the Hogwarts castle decides she's going to start fighting for elf rights Okay, that makes sense. It's like a whole subplot that really goes nowhere, (laughs) but it takes up a lot of the book. This was the last book I almost read. I read part of it before it got spoiled for me. But I remember very clearly reading the beginning with the Quidditch Cup, which bored the ever-loving hell out of me. Yeah, I actually recently reread this book, and I, too, was kind of bored at a couple of parts including the Quidditch World Cup sequence because it is pretty long and drawn out unnecessarily so but despite that you know Harry Potter was still the hot shit in the 2000s this was the highest grossing film of 2005 it made 900 million dollars on its 150 million dollar budget And it was nominated for an Oscar for art direction. So it definitely still got a lot of praise and love. However, the quality of this movie is definitely less than the previous three. It felt like we were just jumping so quickly that you couldn't focus on one thing too much. Like this whole idea of the Triwizard Tournament is a cool idea. That should be the meat of this movie but the meat of this movie is hormones yes (laughs) i told scott before we started watching this movie this is essentially harry potter and the curse of the hormones there was definitely some typical high school movie drama that has not really been present up to this point but you know they're getting older they're 14 now so their hormones are raging so this movie was directed by mike newell who directed such movies as Four Weddings and a Funeral, Donnie Brasco, and uh, the the Disney Prince of Persia movie with Jake Gyllenhaal, remember? Oh, God, I forgot yeah. about that movie. Yeah, that exists. And he earned a measly $1 million to direct this film. And I say measly because, comparatively, Chris Columbus, who directed the first two Harry Potter films, earned a whopping $10 million for the first Harry Potter movie. And the film was written by Steve Cloves once again. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this, even though, like we said, it's not as good as the previous three, but David Tennant is in this movie, guys, and I'm a big Doctor Who fan. David Tennant's my boy. I know everyone else is like, oh, but Robert Pattinson. No, bitch, David Tennant. Now, is the shit. Now, the last thing I saw uh, Mr. Tennant in was Jessica Jones, 
where he was the purple man and he was fucking great. Yeah. As he's, the purple man. He's so good. I just I love him as an actor. But he's so hammy. In he this. he certainly <laughs> hams it up in this. Well, no bullshit. But I still enjoy his performance because it's just it's just a mess. <laughs> a beautiful fucking mess. <laughs> How do you like me now, father? Oh God. Okay. So Scott, you want to just jump right into yeah, this? Yeah, let's thing? go. Let's do this. We start off, thankfully, differently from how every other movie started off. We don't start off at the Dursleys' house. We start off at the Weasleys. Harry is at the burrow with the Weasleys because they are preparing to go to the Quidditch World Cup. But unfortunately, Harry has a bit of a nightmare the night before. And the nightmare, basically generic old man gets killed by Voldemort. We don't really see Voldemort. We only hear him and we see a couple of lackeys with him, one of which being Wormtail, who we talked about in the last movie. Wormtail, you bastard. And the other lackey is David Tennant, who I'm not going to say his character name right now. For those of you who know who it is, who's it's probably most of you, I'm just I'm going to build up the suspense, okay? But yes, David Tennant plays a villain in this movie. He is kneeling before Lord Voldemort and he is assuring him that he will get some job done regarding Harry Potter. And it's then, all very vague yes. and very sinister. And then Harry wakes up in a cold sweat and all the Weasleys and Hermione get their asses up, go off to some field. To touch a boot. A port key which would take them to the Quidditch World Cup. A port key is just a basic inanimate object that is hoodwinked to transport people to wherever they want to go. Now question. Yes. If a muggle happened to be walking in said field uh-huh. and grabbed said boot, uh-huh. they would get transported to somewhere, I think, yeah. But the port key they use is like a dirty old boot. So, so no one's going to just walk up to a dirty, old, rusty, nasty, mold-infested boot and pick it up. There are kids who would kick the boot or well, homeless man. Well, then their parents deserve to have missing children, <laughs> okay? What if they ho- just let their kids go out into some random field in the middle of nowhere and kick a boot around. <laughs> what, what if a homeless man walked I up to the know, boot Scott. and was like, oh, that's a nice boot compared <laughs> Scott, to the one I... <laughs> why are you applying thought to this? This is magic, bitch. We don't need to apply logic, okay? This is where we meet Cedric Diggory. Yes, and his father, Amos. Now, Cedric Diggory, as we all know, is played by Robert Pattinson. The Weasleys, along with the gentleman Diggory, they go up to this boot and they use it to transport themselves to this other random fucking field to go to the Quidditch World Cup. And everything is very exciting, very colorful and rah, 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 siskumba, all that kind of good stuff. Yes, we go into a tent where Harry is amazed that the tent is bigger on the inside. Like the TARDIS? Like Doctor Who? It's so funny because inside of a tent being larger than the tent seems to not be the thing that would cause whimsy. Well, let's talk about what's really whimsical in this movie. The haircuts. Let's talk about the haircuts. Oh, my Lord. For some reason, I don't know why. Maybe because it was 2005 and... Long hair was back. Long hair was a thing, I feel like, at that time. At least when you were a teenager. I remember a time when Scott had quite a mop of hair himself back in the day. What? No. But, oh, my God. Literally, like, just mops. Mops everywhere. Harry has a mop. Ron has a mop. The twin Weasleys have mops. It's just... It's just everywhere. You can't escape the mop. But yeah, we're at the Quidditch Cup. And like we said before, the sequence in the book of the Quidditch World Cup is really kind of long and drawn out. But in this, it's significantly quicker because everything in this movie goes by significantly quicker. We start watching the Quidditch World Cup. It's Ireland versus Bulgaria. And we meet the Bulgarian seeker, who is apparently like the best seeker of all time, Victor Crumb. And everyone's just having a grand old time. And then suddenly, mayhem ensues. And the Death Eaters strike. Yes. Now, the Death Eaters are Voldemort's followers. And after Voldemort went to hiding, they pretty much all either went to Azkaban for being traitors or they 
claimed innocence and claimed they were being controlled magically and saw the error of their ways, you know. But for some reason, they're back here and they're basically burning the whole goddamn place to the ground, generally causing chaos. And they're all wearing masks, so no one knows who they are. In the midst of the chaos, Harry gets separated from everyone. I think he has a bit of a Velma moment where he loses his glasses and then he gets knocked out. The whole Quidditch World Cup area is completely barren and burned to shit and David Tennant appears and he uses his wand and points it up in the sky and he emits this weird skull-like cloud thing in the sky it's very scurry it's called the dark mark it's Voldemort's symbol and it's very spooky so Harry notices this he doesn't really see David Tennant he just kind of sees a shadowy male figure in the distance and the guy disappears just as Hermione and Ron run into Harry and find him and then a bunch of ministry people rush at the three kids and accuse them of casting the dark mark and arthur weasley has like the best fucking moment here he sees all these fucking people like yelling at the kids and he just runs over like the dickens and he's like stop that's my son strong dad vibes we love that yes definitely now we cut to the kids on the hogwarts express going to hogwarts we just jump right ahead here and Hermione is like, oh, I can't believe they didn't find the guy. What the fuck? And then she tells Harry he should inform Sirius about what happened at the World Cup. And also she should tell him about that dream he had about Voldemort. Ah. And Harry says it to do this because, you know, Sirius is still in hiding, yada, yada. But he does it. And we then jump again ahead to all the kids in Hogwarts just standing outside of the grounds watching this flying horse and carriage come in from the sky and this underwater pirate ship coming up from the nearby lake and these magical vehicles are belonging to other magic schools from other countries namely Bobatton school and Durmstrang and all the kids are like what are these people doing here what the fuck and the audience is also like what the fuck is happening <laughs> and you figure this would be a lot bigger of a moment but we gotta we gotta get moving here Scott yeah, we I'm got sorry. so much to get through <laughs> so when all the kids go into the great hall Dumbledore once again, played by Michael Gambon, he explains to the kids that the Triwizard Tournament is happening this year. He introduces the kids from Bobatton's school and Durmstrang. This is a big pomp and circumstance moment. The ladies from the first school come in dancing in their blue uniforms. With little bluebirds flying out of their dress. <laughs> and Ron immediately... Wants to fuck. <laughs> Looks right at their asses. And then you have the Bolshevik Empire <laughs> come in with dragon fire yeah. and... <laughs> yeah, and we also meet the two school's headmasters. We have Madame Maxime for Bobatons, who is, I would assume, a half-giantess. And then we have the Durmstrang headmaster... Igor Karkaroff, and we find out later that he's a little shifty shifty. He was a former Death Eater. <gasps> so wait, you're saying the Russian might be the bad guy? I mean, it's not It's not said that he's Russian, but he has a very strong foreign accent that sounds very, very Russian. <laughs> Communism is a red herring. <laughs> Isn't it always? <laughs> But Dumbledore also introduces a ministry person by the name of Barty Crouch, who is going to be a judge for the Triwizard Tournament. And he explains that there is going to be an age restriction for the students who can enter the tournament. You have to be 17 or older. And everyone's like, what? This is bullshit. But it's like, listen, kids. This is for your safety. People have died in the past during this tournament. So well, this is how it is. What, what are you trying to say? The 10-year-old shouldn't enter a death tournament? <laughs> and finally, we meet our new Defense Against the Dark 
arts teacher at Hogwarts, Mr. Mad-Eye Moody, played by Brendan Gleeson. The legendary Brendan Gleeson. He's a well-known Irish actor. I know him especially. He was in V for Vendetta. And he is having a blast. Yes. uh, Mad-Eye Moody is a very eccentric character. He is a former Auror, which in the magical world is a person who fights and captures dark wizards. He has a crazy eye (laughs) that can see through fucking walls and shit. He's got a bum leg. He's very scary looking. And he's always drinking out of his hip flask. Dumbledore ends the scene by introducing the kids to the Goblet of Fire. He said it! He said it! He says, okay, if you want to enter into this tournament, write your name on a piece of paper and what school you're in, and you put it in the goblet, and then when the time comes, the goblet will choose a champion from each school to compete in the tournament. So we cut right to the first defense against the Dark Arts class with Mad-Eye Moody, and we learn about the three unforgivable curses, the Imperious Curse, which gives you the ability to control others, and then we learn about the Cruciatus Curse, which is the torture curse. Then we learn the last unforgivable curse, the killing curse, which we talked about a little bit in the past. It's the Avada Kedavra curse. Yes. Which obviously is how Harry's parents died. So everyone in this class is getting a real education today. (laughs) Everyone's horrified. Everyone needs counseling. Everybody traumatized. (laughs) After this pretty intense emotional scene, we just cut again really fast to the next scene and we're picking the champions for the Triwizard Tournament. We pick a champion from each school. We get Fleur Delacour from the Bobatton School. She's this little waify blonde girl. For Durmstrang's champion, we get none other than our Bulgarian seeker from earlier in the movie, Victor Crumb. Yes, Victor Crumb's in school here. Yes, the man who is a World Cup champion is still apparently a senior in school. Okay. (laughs) Sure, why not? And then for our Hogwarts champion, we get the Hufflepuff Supreme, the very good finder, Cedric Diggory. Yes. (laughs) And then we think it's over, kids. The cup erupts with magic. Fire shooting out of the goblet. And a fourth name pops out everyone's surprised no one knows who the name is Dumbledore grabs the paper and he's like Harry Potter (laughs) it's like oh no and everyone is stunned including Harry because he's like what the fuck he goes up to Dumbledore and he's like okay you're you're a champion go ahead and within a couple seconds all the teachers are following him and Dumbledore proceeds to charge up to Harry like a bull and say, Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? <laughs> I was going to say he was like Sonny in Bronx Tale. Harry's like, no, I did. I swear to God I didn't. And luckily Dumbledore does believe him, but everyone else fucking believes that he did it himself. However, I did want to mention the whole Dumbledore charging at Harry thing because it's a pretty well-known meme at this point that has been circulated forever. Because in the book, (laughs) they make a point to mention that Dumbledore walks up to Harry calmly and asks him peacefully and with love, Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? And the difference is so stark between the movie and the book, it's kind of funny. (laughs) This starts another chain of events leading to one of the worst parts of the movie, with Ron being a little bitch the entire fucking movie. Yeah, this is part of the reason why I say it's Harry Potter and the Curse of the Hormones, essentially. <laughs> oh, my... Well, he's all pissy, and he thinks Harry put his name in, and it's expanded a little bit more in the book, but essentially, he's just sick of being, like, Harry's second banana you're, all the time. You're friends with the famous Harry Potter. What the fuck did you expect but the thing is and it's also like hermione even says in the book ron knows in his head that harry doesn't purposely ask for this shit he doesn't want all this attention it just it just comes to him unfortunately and he doesn't want it and ron knows that but it's still like annoying and i can understand that i mean does he handle it well no but mind you he's a 14 year old pissy boy so you know what can you do but 
there is something to be said for the perpetual sidekick. But even still, you're a dick to Harry for most of the movie. You're a dick to Hermione for most of the movie and previous movies. He just comes off like a bitch in this movie. He does. It's true. I feel like you could have done that better. I feel like this movie does a great job of exemplifying everyone's awkward stage. Because 14 is a real awkward stage for pretty much everyone in existence. Yeah, I guess that's true. So, you know, it it does the job. Let's put it that way. Yeah, true. Now, next scene we cut to is Harry receiving a letter from Sirius Black telling him to meet him in the Gryffindor common room that night at midnight. And Harry shows up in the common room. He makes sure he's alone. And... Sirius shows up, his little CGI face appears in the fucking fireplace. Now, here's my issue. Sirius was supposed to be in this movie more. I wish that fucking Gary Oldman was actually in this movie. It sucks that he's not. Because I love Gary Oldman in the Harry Potter franchise. (laughs) Yeah, it's so quick and it's so like, just don't trust anybody. Basically, that's what he says. He he tells Harry that Karkaroff used to be a Death Eater and that Barty Crouch put his own son in Azkaban. So he's ruthless, too. So I don't know who could have done this to you, but someone's out to get you. So just be careful. So later on, Hagrid asks to meet with Harry and he's like, bring your invisibility cloak. And Harry's like, OK. He's like, what's going on? I don't know. And Harry, Harry puts his cloak on. And he watches as Hagrid meets with Madame Maxime, who is a fellow giantess. So, you know, Hagrid is looking rather thirsty right now oh. for some giantess. Oh, hell yeah. He's looking very thirsty. And I made the joke that he wanted Harry to watch. Ew. No, that's not why he asked Harry oh, here, mm, Scott. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a porn of that somewhere, but not today. <laughs> um, but, but no, he really wanted Harry to see what their first challenge is going to be. And yes, he- because the the Triwizard Tournament, as you might guess, because Tri is in the name, it's three tasks. So the first task, as Hagrid shows Harry, is all about... Dragons. <gasps> and the thing about this is... We have not stopped with the foreshadowing hammer that has been smacking us over the head for the past three movies. The only dragon he sees is the Hungarian horntail dragon. Which Hagrid tells him is the worst and the most cantankerous of the group. So, of course, Harry is going to have to contend with that one in his task. So, the next day, Harry is walking around trying to figure out what the fuck he's supposed to do with these dragons because he's like um they breathe fire and shit and like i don't know how to deal with that bro so as he's walking around he notices that some of the kids are wearing little buttons on their robes with the words potter stinks on it and he's like well fuck you guys because everyone's mad at him again now because they think he cheated and got into the fucking tournament himself didn't we learn the first time when everybody thought oh harry speaks to snakes and he sent the snake to kill somebody harry never does this shit Uh, harry has a, a decent moment here he goes to cedric because he figures i know about the first task so i should try to make it even playing field and tell Cedric. So he tells Cedric about the dragons and uh, Cedric thanks him and walks off. And it's like, oh, Cedric's a nice guy. It's It sucks because Cedric ain't going to make it, kids. I hate to break it to you. What? what? Cedric's not going to make it? What? 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 No, Did no, I say that? No. Did I say that? No. no. He's got to get to... Where does Twilight take place in, like, the tundra of depression? I don't even know. It takes place somewhere very cold and dreary. He's got to get there, guys. He's got to become a pale-ass vampire that sparkles in the daylight. (laughs) I want to say Seattle. That sounds right. Yeah. Later on, Draco Malfoy, of course, starts fucking with Harry. And Harry's so pissed off at everything at this point. He's not having an easy go. So he just storms off from Draco. And as he does so, Draco makes like he's going to pull some charm off at him. 
second he points his wand at Harry, Moody comes out of some fucking crevice somewhere and decides to turn <laughs> Draco Malfoy into a white ferret. <laughs> Ferrets are cute, guys. I like ferrets. I used to own a ferret. Moody is having a grand old time swinging this ferret around and around and then McGonagall just comes up <laughs> and she's like, What are you doing? Teaching. Is that a is that a student? Technically it's a ferret. She turns Malfoy back to normal and he runs off. My father will hear about this, blah blah blah. And then she's like, Alistair Moody. I'm sure Dumbledore told you that we don't use transfiguration as punishment to our students. He might have mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> Brendan Gleeson is just having a grand old time with this fucking character because he's so weird. He's such a fucking loose cannon. Oh, lo- <laughs> loose cannon is putting it very lightly. Moody pulls Harry aside. He basically wants to help him figure out what to do with this dragon. So he's like, you have to play to your strengths. What are your strengths? And Harry goes, well, I'm a, I'm a good flyer. I hear better than good. Oh, and also in the scene I want to mention, they're in Moody's office and Moody makes a reference to a magical chest that's in the corner of the room that is constantly shaking and almost sounds like there's some echoey screaming going on in there. Totally fine. Nothing to be concerned about, Harry, but there might be some creature in there screaming for his life. Well, it's even... No big deal. Well, it's even funnier because Gleason looks at Harry and goes... If I told you what was in there, you wouldn't believe me. <laughs> ah, da 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 da. <laughs> so after this, we cut to the first task. Each of the champions has to go into this little arena with a different dragon, and the dragon is guarding this magical golden egg. And this magical golden egg is housing the clue that will reveal what the next task will be. So the goal is to get in the arena, don't die, don't get set aflame, and get the egg Yes. without the dragon eating you for breakfast. Harry is the last one to play. He gets in there, summons his firebolt to his hands, and he starts flying around, evading the dragon. They have a cool little action scene. And Harry almost gets a bunch of people killed. And eventually he does get the egg. The Gryffindors are in their common room celebrating with Harry and they're like, open the egg, Harry. Let's see what the clue is for the next task. Yay. And it's a giant scream. Yes. He opens up the egg and it's just this piercing screech and he quickly closes it and he's like, what the fuck? Okay. Clearly this is a bit of a puzzle. I got to work out now. Great. As Harry closes up the egg, Ron enters the room with his tail between his legs and he basically says to Harry, yeah, after watching you almost die, obviously I know you didn't put your name in that goblet. And Harry's like, well, thank you for fucking figuring that out, you asshole. <laughs> so Ron and Harry make up, la di da di da life is good again. And the next day, we get a class with Minerva McGonagall, which it's nice to hang out with her for a little bit. I feel like she's always on the sidelines, but at least she gets a little bit of her own room to shine in this movie, which is nice. She essentially tells the kids about the Yule Ball, which is a tradition in the Triwizard Tournament. Where everybody dances. Yes, everyone comes together from all the different schools and they dance the night away. As McGonagall says, they join for a night of well-mannered frivolity. (laughs) You can dance if you want to. You can leave your cares behind. And if your friends don't dance... Well, if they don't dance, then then they're they're no no friends friends of mine. I say, we can dance, we can dance, everything's out of control. We can dance, we can dance, doing it I had to do it. So McGonagall essentially explains to the kids, like, listen, I don't want you all running around out there like a bumbling band of baboons. They're 14. That's all they do. True. (laughs) But she wants to teach them how to dance. So they have a cute little scene where she teaches all the kids how to ballroom dance. It's very cutesy. Then after this, the movie turns into a typical high school drama because now Harry and Ron and all the other kids have to find dates for the Yule Ball. The tone of the series completely just goes left. (laughs) 
it turns into Degrassi for like a good half hour here. Yeah, and Harry and Ron, they're nervous. They can't ask anybody. Her they're mo- starting to get desperate. They're starting to get desperate. Neville even has a date. Neville asked fucking Ginny to the dance. And then Ron's like, well, you know, it's it's one thing if guys go stag, but, you know, a girl going stag? And then he goes to Hermione. He's like, hey, you're a girl. And Hermione's like, yeah, wow, you're really astute there, Ron. Thanks for noticing. But, yeah, if you, you go alone, that's really sad. And she goes, well, I actually got a date. And I said, yes, you piece of shit. Fuck you. Harry, up to this point, has been crushing a little bit on a student by the name of Cho Chang, played by... Katie Leung, who this is her first movie role ever, and she's a cute little shy Asian girl. And Harry eventually works up the courage to ask her to the Yule Ball, but unfortunately, she rejects him because <gasps> Cedric Diggory already asked me, and I said I would go. I'm so sorry, Harry. But he, if he hadn't, I would have gladly gone with you. But the, the the stammering and the stuttering, oh my God. You know, give this movie credit. It does, like I said, give a great voice to the awkward teenage years. <laughs> I guess. It, it feels like it's too much at times, especially in the next scene where Ron is being dragged back to the Gryffindor common room. Because he tried to ask out Flora Delacour, the other Triwizard yes, champion. Yes, the beautiful, wafy, blonde French girl. And he, of course, got rejected. <laughs> a bunch of them are in the room, like, trying to comfort Ron. And then all of a sudden, these two twin girls walk past Harry, the Patil sisters. And Harry looks at them, and he kind of does a double take. And, like, you can just see the wheels churning in his head. He's like, oh, wait a minute. There's two of us, myself and Ron, and there's two of you. Hey, (laughs) come back. (laughs) And twins? Oh, God. So, yeah, now we cut to the Yule Ball. And McGonagall randomly comes up to Harry right before the ball starts. And he says, oh, by the way, Harry, the champions have to open the ball by dancing with their respective partners, just so you know. <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> no one can see Hermione. Hermione's MIA. And Ron's like, oh, she's probably hiding in a room on her- by herself crying because no one really asked her to the dance. Mwah, mwah, mwah. What an asshole. Meanwhile, she enters hot as fuck, looking fly with this beautiful dress and fucking Victor Crumb. <laughs> the hottest shit in the school ron is pissed he's like oh fuck (laughs) it was at this moment that he knew he fucked up ron's just like pissy the whole rest of the night like he doesn't even dance at all with his partner he's just a piece of shit and then he starts arguing with hermione about like oh you're fraternizing with the enemy he's just using you well you wanted his autograph yeah it's like what are you talking about he's not the enemy we're all supposed to like be friends here hello Ron and Hermione are essentially fighting the whole rest of the night, and Harry's just kind of trying to play mediator almost, but it doesn't work at all. Hermione no. just goes off in a pretty uh, a pretty good show for uh, Emma Watson. She plays the role of angsty, hormonal teenage girl very well. She basically just screeches at him, tears in her eyes, and says, next time there's a dance, you should ask me yourself before somebody else does, and not as a last resort. And Ron just is like, uh, 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 blah, blah, blah. And you fucked up, bro. Sorry. That could have been you with Hermione tonight, but you fucked up. Oh, also, there's a random band having a concert? Oh, yeah. Well, they have the Weird Sisters play. <laughs> it, it basically goes from, like, la-dee-dee-da-dee-dee-da, ballroom dancing, so prim and proper, and then it goes, da-da-da-da-da. There's, like, a mosh pit, and they're all screaming and yelling and going crazy, as teens do, I guess. But it was it was a funny little moment. So we cut to much, much, much later. Harry has still not figured out this egg clue, and the task is only two days away. But Cedric uh, comes upon Harry, pulls him aside, and tells him, hey, uh, you know, you helped me out with the dragons in the first task. I just wanted to let you know something about that magical golden egg you got there. Go take a bath with it. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. Just, you know, go take a bath and bring the egg with you. Go do the deed. (laughs) So Harry goes to the prefect's bathroom so he can be alone. And he brings the egg, goes in the bathtub. Myrtle shows up, moaning Myrtle, 
Sure. And she flirts very heavily with Harry. It's very gross because he's naked in a bathtub and she, at least her actress, is 30 years old. But the character is also a ghost. So really, no matter what way you slice it, it's gross. <laughs> Eventually, Harry puts the egg under the bath water and opens it and he notices that the egg is now singing a magical little clue to the next task. And the clue basically says the task involves mer people. It takes place underwater and that Harry will have to recover something that has been taken from him. So Harry is trying to rack his brain to figure out what he can use for this task to help him stay underwater for an hour. And Mad-Eye Moody comes along while Harry is in the library and he notices Neville Longbottom up in the corner. He's like, you know, hey, Neville, you should help Harry out and try to figure out the key to winning this task. Neville's like, hey, you could use gillyweed. It's this plant I know of I learned about in this book. And Harry shows up at the task and he's nervous as fuck, but Neville hands him this gillyweed which Daniel Radcliffe has said it was one of the grossest things he's had to eat for the Harry Potter series. It was basically just like slimy black licorice fucked up to look like seaweed. Oh, okay. I thought I was like to say, I'm like, it looked like seaweed. Yeah, no, it was. That's what it's supposed to look like. So right before the task, Harry eats the gillyweed and he jumps in the water and he grows gills and little flippers and he can swim, swim like the wind, bullseye. And <laughs> all the champions jump into the water. It turns out their treasures are people they love. Yeah, for each of the champions, someone precious to them has been hoodwinked and tied up underwater and left there to be rescued by the champions. And if they fail to rescue them, they die. Because we like they to spread to death. They don't die. Spread the death around. No, that's not true at all. Uh, so, of course, Harry's person is Ron. Cedric's person is Cho Chang. Victor Crumb's person is Hermione. And Harry is the first one there and tries to save both Ron and Hermione. But he is stopped by the Mer people saying, you can only take one. Cedric saves Cho Chang. Victor Crumb saves Hermione. But our fourth champion does not get down there because she is attacked by sea monsters. So Harry decides on his selfless act to take both Ron and... Flor Delacour's little sister who's tied up. And bring them to the surface, which almost costs Harry his life. Yes, because he too is attacked by sea creatures, but he manages to get away from them. But the real issue is is that because he took two people under his charge, it took him longer to get back to the surface. So he is the last person to come up to the surface. So he thinks he basically lost this challenge. However, Dumbledore announces that Harry has received second place in the challenge because... He showed great bravery and selflessness by saving both Ron and the little girl. So, yeah, this, yay. This feels like house cup bullshit. It is, kind of. But, like, <laughs> it makes sense. Bravery, you know, Gryffindor. That's the thing you do when you're a Gryffindor. You are brave and you should be rewarded for that. But yeah. Cedric gets first place because Cedric is the pretty boy, awesome sauce, perfect guy in this movie. And we get a nice little discussion as Harry is led away by Crouch who has like a kind of weird conversation with him yeah he has kind of like a vague thing trying to talk to Harry about what it's like to lose family and how that affects your life but you have to move on and go on with your life blah 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 because as Sirius mentioned earlier in the movie Barty Crouch being a ministry member for whatever reason, sent his son to Azkaban. We don't really know anything about that just yet, but we will. Don't you worry. But as they're chatting, Moody, of course, with his crazy eye, approaches them. And as he is talking to Barty Crouch, he does this weird tongue click thing. No one's seen Moody do this before, but he did it just then. And Barty Crouch is noticeably concerned by this. He's like, very thrown back by that little tick. Ah, yes. It's frozen back enough to where he 
He must leave. Yes, but later, Harry is hanging out with Hagrid and all his friends, and they're chatting and celebrating the victory, blah, blah, blah. They're all misfits together. Yes, and they're having a grand old time walking (laughs) around the Forbidden Forest. And Harry starts to get a, a bad feeling. He's walking in the forest, and he notices a dead body crouch. Oh, <gasps> no. Dun, dun, dun. Not Barty. Oh. We hardly knew ye. Hey, guys. Quick break from the main show here. Just wanted to take a minute to shine a light on some other podcasts that Scotty and I really enjoy. Check it out now. My apologies for interrupting our Shoot the Flick dream team here, but if you're in the market for a podcast that offers irreverent arguments about random topics, check out the Whack Brackets podcast. May I suggest you start with the fun crossover episodes we had with your amazing STF hosts, Scott and Frankie, where we bracketed off Disney characters as well as badass female movie heroes. And if you like those, stick around and check out a few of our other amazing guests. Again, that is Whack Brackets, available just about anywhere podcasts can be consumed. And now, back to Shoot the Flick. So Harry later goes to see Dumbledore after this and Dumbledore's like, I'll be right with you, Harry. I just have to go do something. Just wait in my office and I'll be right back. So Harry, of course, being Harry, he snoops around in Dumbledore's office and he finds this glowing magical object called the Pensieve. It's essentially a silver bowl located in a little cupboard in Dumbledore's office. And inside this little silver bowl is a bunch of silver wisps. Very magical looking, very curious. Yes. And Harry kind of leans in and looks inside it and proceeds to fall down, almost like Jimmy Stewart in fucking Vertigo. She's like, ah! Oh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and he falls into one of Dumbledore's memories. Yes, the Pensieve is essentially an object that you can use to extract memories and compartmentalize them and kind of be able to watch them like a movie, essentially. <laughs> Harry kind of plops down into one of Dumbledore's memories, and this memory is of a ministry trial. And in this trial... Is our you, you communist s- red herring. Yes. You see Karkaroff being led into the room in a cage and racked with chains. And he's there to give names of other Death Eaters in an effort to get released from Azkaban. And Karkaroff names several people. The ministry really isn't impressed because they either know about these people already or they're fucking dead. So he like they're like, okay, back to Azkaban. But and he's like, wait, what about Snape? Severus Snape is a Death Eater. And Dumbledore immediately stands up and defends Snape, saying that, yes, Snape was a Death Eater at one time. But before Voldemort's fall, he switched sides and joined the good wizards and acted as a spy yes. for the bad side. And Kakarov's like, no, it's a lie, no. But then they're about to chip him right back off to Azkaban. And then we get this very high drama moment. I know one more. What about Barty Crouch? Junior. <gasps> and then the camera pans over to David Tennant, of all people, and... David Tennant is Barty Crouch's son, Barty Crouch Jr. <laughs> and as he's being grabbed by all the wizards there, uh, he looks at his father and goes, How do you like me now, father? And he does the same tongue click thing as Moody. And you're like, That's suspicious. That's weird. It's very hamtastic. It's a it's a fucking moment, guys. Oh, it's definitely a moment. It's kind of hysterical. It's definitely a, a scene-chewing moment for David Tennant. But I did want to mention this little tongue-click thing because it wasn't in the book. It was actually improved by David Tennant. And apparently the filmmakers liked it, so they kept it in. And Brendan Gleeson, who plays Moody, ended up, picking up on that and he did it a few times to allude to our big twist that we're going to get to towards the end of this little picture what a twist 
I think I thought that was really interesting because I had totally forgot that it wasn't in the book until I reread it and I was like oh yeah it wasn't in the book if you didn't already know the twist of the movie before watching it it's kind of like a blink and you'll miss it oh moment. yeah it definitely is a, a blink and you miss it moment so Harry after this flies out of the pensieve he talks to Dumbledore and he says that he recognizes Barty Crouch Jr. from his dream. And he tells Dumbledore about his dream with Voldemort and Wormtail. Don't worry about it, Harry. Don't don't and, pay it no mind. Yeah. Excuse me? <laughs> like, have you not been here the past three fucking years? I have to worry about all of this shit because, you know, Voldemort's trying to kill me, bro. Constantly. Like, all the goddamn time. As Harry is leaving Dumbledore's office, he runs into Snape who's, of course, played by the late, great Alan Rickman. And Snape mentions that there have been some ingredients that have been going missing from my storage, you know, because I'm potions master, so I'm all about the potions, and I know I've got all the good shit, and I know some stuff has gone missing. Stuff that could make polyjuice potions. Indeed. So he he accuses Harry, and Harry's like, what the fuck you? No, I haven't stolen anything. And he's like, mm-hmm, sure, I'm gonna find out the truth, Potter, don't you fret. And he slams the door in his face. So immediately we go right on to the third and final task of the Triwizard Tournament, which is a big old fucking Shining-esque maze. I was about to make that reference, too. Ha-ha, I made it first. <laughs> that would have been great if there was actually snow on the ground. Dumbledore essentially tells everybody the Triwizard Cup is located in the center of the maze and the first one to get there wins which begs the question then what was the point of the other two tasks if whoever gets there first wins i don't know well uh the other point of the other two because they do mention it very briefly it doesn't play any importance in this but it's kind of like supermarket sweep oh no (laughs) where the person in the lead would go in first and have the advantage and then so on and right, so forth. Well, okay, let's say that Flor Delacour, who at this point is in last place, gets to the cup first. Even well, yeah, she would still win. She would still win. So then... But like, like Supermarket Sweep, if that last person gets the most shit, they would so, win. So you're, what you're saying is we put several children's lives in danger so we could have an extra 15 seconds on the supermarket floor. Yes. Okay, that's really dumb. So all the kids go into the maze, and as Harry is entering, he looks over at Mad-Eye Moody, and he very subtly points to the left, to the left. The Triwizard Cup is in the hedge to the left. So everything he owns is in the box to the left? <laughs> that that was the reference I was making, dear, ah, yes. yes. So in this maze, a whole bunch of bullshit happens. Floor is pretty much immediately stunned and like sucked into the hedges and taken out of the game, which I don't appreciate that, of course, the the one female competitor is always the first to go. And then we see Victor Crumb and he is clearly cursed somehow. His eyes are cloudy and it's later revealed that he was under the Imperious Curse to not just take himself out of the game, but take Cedric out of the game because Harry later finds Victor Crumb attacking Cedric. Cedric knocks him out and Harry's like, no, 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 don't attack him anymore. He's bewitched. And Cedric's like, what the fuck? Okay, whatever. So Harry and Cedric continue to run out and try to get to the cup. And as they are getting close to the cup, Cedric gets attacked by the fucking hedge maze (laughs) and he starts screaming Harry's name and Harry thinks about it for a second and decides, no, I'm going to go back. He saves Cedric and they decide that they're going to go for the cup together. Which, by the way, if both people can win the Triwizard Cup, what's the point of all of this? Well, okay. First of all, Harry's not even supposed to be in the damn fucking tournament, but they figure either way, Hogwarts is going to win, so let's just both go for it and we'll tie, and that'll be that. They're both being honorable dudes. Well, I no, I understand that, but like, shouldn't it be impossible for both of them to win? No. <laughs> Nothing's impossible in Magic Land. Anyway, so here we get to the real meat and potatoes. The real fucking dark-ass motherfucking shit of this movie. Yes, they both grab the cup and are teleported away. Turns out the Triwizard Cup was a port key. (gasps) 
they show up in a graveyard. Harry notices in this graveyard, there is a grave. What a shock. But on this grave, it says the name Tom Riddle. And Harry immediately starts bugging out. His scar starts to hurt. And he's like, we got to get the fuck out of here. But before they can, unfortunately, Wormtail appears holding a little baby Voldemort. Yeah, Voldemort kind of looks like a rejected version of Billy the Puppet from Saw. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. He looks very sad and sickly and gross. Harry, you want to play a game? Oh, no. Immediately, he says the three words that, if you're a Harry Potter fan, just chill you to your core. He says, kill the spare. And Wormtail hauls off, says, Avada Kedavra, and kills Cedric Diggory in the blink of an eye. And he's gone. And... It's, oh, it's just awful. Like, I didn't mention it before, but before the maze scene, they have this little moment where, like, everyone's like, oh, good luck in there. You're going to win. And you see Amos Diggory hugging his son. And I was watching it like it it broke my fucking heart in two. I was like, oh, my God, this is the last time he's going to see his son alive. I can't take it. It's really awful. Wormtail proceeds to bind Harry to this headstone and he pulls out a cauldron and he starts working on this spell to bring Voldemort back to life. Wormtail chops off his own hand because he needs something of Voldemort's servant, which Wormtail fits the bill there. So he chops off his own hand. Yeah. You know, he says his flesh... Why didn't he just give a finger? Why did he have to give his whole hand? I don't know, Scott. Maybe they need a little more flesh than just a finger. I don't know. But it's all good because later on, Voldemort replaces it with a little silver surfer hand. So he's fine. And then last but not least, of course, they have to use Harry's blood because Harry is his greatest foe. So they throw everything in the cauldron, you know, bubble, bubble, toil and trouble, and out pops Ray Fiennes as Voldemort. (laughs) Yes, now, did they ever mention why they chose not to give Voldemort a nose? Well, in the book, Voldemort is supposed to have red snake-like eyes. Uh, I don't know if they say anything about his nose in the book, but Fines was kind of against the eye thing because he, he couldn't really... If he had to use contacts to make his eyes red and snake-like then he couldn't really have any real expression in his eyes, so he kind of nixed that. But So they took away his nose in retaliation. But the nose was digitally removed in post. I don't fully understand why. I, I don't know. He looks very creepy, though. Give him that. <laughs> yeah, okay. As Voldemort emerges from the cauldron, he calls forth his many Death Eaters. Some of these Death Eaters include a Mr. Crab, a Mr. Goyle, and of course we have Lucius Malfoy. The bastard himself. Voldemort is just really reveling in the fact that he has Harry Potter in his clutches. He's like, I couldn't get near you before. Because I was too weak. But now I'm here and I can touch you. <laughs> I'm, not, like, I'm not touching you. He basically, I'm not touching you. He basically does that to Harry. Except he actually does touch his scar. And it burns Harry so bad. Voldemort decides he wants to duel Harry. He wants to give him a chance. Which isn't really a chance. Because he's a fucking child. But okay. Whatever you say bro. So... Voldemort forces him to bow. He pulls a little torture curse on him, a little crucio. And Harry tries to run away, but eventually they do face each other. Harry throws out an Expelliarmus charm, which is just supposed to disarm. And of course, Voldemort is trying to kill the motherfucker, so he says, Avada Kedavra! But a weird thing happens with their wands. Uh, A weird lightning is emitted from both of their wands, and they connect... It's kind of an even match right now. As this weird lightning thing is happening, Harry notices little 
almost death echoes, little ghosties start popping out of Voldemort's wand. This whole experience is explained more in the book, but essentially what it is is because of this combat, Voldemort's wand reacts by by echoing all of the killings that his wand has committed previously. So Cedric's ghost comes out. The old man from yeah, the beginning. Yeah, the old man from the beginning. Um, and Harry's parents. Yes. Because before Cedric and the old man, those were the last two people the wand killed. So all these ghosties come out and they basically help Harry to distract Voldemort for long enough so he could get away. And Cedric pipes up and he says, Harry please bring my body home to my parents and he's like i will i will i was like oh my god it's so horrible so it it does work and harry gets out of there with cedric's body and he plops down on the field back at hogwarts and it's just a horrible moment when that happens everyone starts to cheer this scene is just gut-wrenching really because harry is so traumatized he is sobbing and everyone is cheering so happily like oh yay harry won yay and then they realize yeah it's just oh you just you feel like the fucking journey all this audience is going on where like you're like oh yay hooray oh wait what's going on oh my god he's dead ah cedric's dead it's like the air gets sucked out of the room yeah it's just awful Harry manages to tell Dumbledore that Voldemort is back and Dumbledore's trying to comfort Harry but then Moody comes in and it's all very chaotic and crazy Moody kind of absconds with Harry and takes him away he's like I got you boy I got you and he's still sobbing and it's just it's a lot going on so we get Harry out of this crazy environment we get him out of here with Moody and he sits him down in his office and yeah, so, he starts talking to him uh, about what happened. Moody's talking really fucking weird. He's constantly drinking from his little hip flask. He's twitching and just acting really weird. And he's talking to Harry about what happened. And then he says something about the graveyard. What happened in the graveyard? And Harry's like, I never mentioned a graveyard, professor. And you're like, oh my god. <laughs> what and it is revealed we get another reveal moody is actually the one that put harry's name in the goblet of fire he is also the one that convinced hagrid to show harry the dragons he told cedric about how to solve the egg clue and he gave neville the book that would help harry with the gillyweed yes so he he has planned all of this meticulously in order to get harry to the end of the tournament so he would grab the port key and get sent to voldemort it's all very convoluted like harry could have died by the dragon or the sea monsters and then your whole plan to resurrect voldemort is done but just as this whole evil plan is being revealed Dumbledore bursts in with Snape and McGonagall and Snape has a little bit of truth potion in tow. They force Smoody to consume this truth potion and Dumbledore immediately asks him, are you really Alistair Moody? And he goes, no, I'm not. (laughs) And he's like, is the real Alistair Moody in this room? And Moody looks over at the little chest from earlier in the movie that was shaking before and they open the chest and lo and behold there's a little shrunken Alistair Moody phenomenal cosmic powers hi guys I'm down here (laughs) the guy stole my eye so obviously this guy has been using polyjuice potion to pretend to be Alistair Moody and that explains why all of Snape's shit was going missing. And just as this is revealed to us, the Polyjuice Potion fails and the real Slim Shady stands the fuck up. And it is none other than Botty Crouch Jr., a.k.a. David Tennant, a.k.a. the Tenth Doctor. So Botty Crouch Jr. reveals that he killed his father he also confirms that Voldemort has returned and Dumbledore orders Barty Crouch Jr. to be returned to Azkaban immediately. 
but they they even rush through like the twisty villain reveal yeah like they don't even give that time to breathe because it, like immediately they go through this whole thing and like maybe a five minute fucking scene it feels like dumbledore says all right off to azkaban with you and then they cut right to cedric's funeral <laughs> Yeah, where Dumbledore is giving the speech about how Cedric was killed by Voldemort and that the Ministry of Magic is kind of trying to be like, no, no, that didn't happen, no, but you should know the truth and Cedric was a good person and a hard worker and a Hufflepuff, so he liked to find things. That's true. Dumbledore does say, in a very sad, quiet, poignant scene, actually one of the only scenes that's given like a minute to breathe, that Cedric should be remembered for who he was, how he was loyal and brave and kind, and that his death will not be in vain because the magic community will all come together and fight this evil that has destroyed poor Cedric Diggory. And it's, it is really a nice, peaceful, somber moment. Yes, it is. Which is nice because, you know, a kid fucking died. Let's not forget that. Harry Potter series, you kill the kid. He was like 16, 17 years old. Yeah, but you kill the kid. You kill the kid. So give it a minute to breathe. He won't be the last. <laughs> no. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> On that happy note, the movie wraps up with the, the school year ending. Everyone goes on their merry way. And our main trio, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, are together talking. And Hermione has a very trailery line here where she goes, Everything's going to change now, isn't it? And then Harry just goes up to her, puts his hand on her shoulder, and he's like, Yes. <laughs> no, no poignant speech. No, like, we're going to get through it together. He's just like, Yes, everything is different now. No, because we have to focus on the flying cart going away and the ship sinking into the ocean because that's got to be the end focus of our movie. That's got to be the final shot because it's very lofty and magical and whimsical even though none of this movie has been really anything whimsical or like magical really. I mean it's been magical obviously it's Harry Potter but there really has been zero focus on whimsy which I'm not necessarily complaining about. What annoys me about it is that In the fourth book, I know, I always fucking complain about shit comparing it with the book, but hang with me for just one more instant. Now, in the book, (laughs) it basically ends on an even more heavy kind of fucked up thing. Cornelius Fudge, who is the head of the Magical Ministry, going to Dumbledore and Harry and being like, "Um, yeah, clearly you're mistaken. Harry Potter is crazy. Voldemort's not back so you're full of shit and you can't be spreading this nonsense and it's like what they're all like confused like what are you talking about he's I saw him with my own fucking eye like who do you think killed Cedric do you think I did it what are you what 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 are you even saying he's saying ignorance is bliss right and um they do pick that up in the next movie which is fine but I do like that it ended the fourth book because it just it added more gravitas to the ending and made you want more going into the fifth book. The fact that they cut it out of this movie and just saved it for the next one, it's not the most egregious thing in the world, but the movie ends on a whimper, it seems like. Not a not a shout. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Which is kind of weird because up to this point like we've been saying it's all kind of rushed and jumbled a little bit so you know it just kind you you feel like you ran this huge marathon and then you just kind of like crumple to the floor like oh okay now we're done end credits bye guys so it's like oh okay (laughs) i do agree with you It, it did feel very underwhelming I didn't care about the pirate ship sinking into the ocean. Even if there was, like, more to their conversation at the end. Like, yeah. if there was more, like, okay, we, we have to really be on alert here. We got to stick together and fight Voldemort. Something. But it was just kind of like a vague, like, oh, everything's going to change now. Everything's different. And it's like, okay. I'm sure if we looked at the trailer now, I'm sure that's in the oh, trailer. Oh, I'm absolutely certain it is. I'm sure. But... 
that was Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Scott, what did you think of this movie? Uh, like we've been saying, it feels kind of rushed. It feels like it's going 100 miles a minute. Uh, there's no time to breathe. Uh, I, I feel like nothing's given focus. Uh, even the Triwizard Tournament, these big, huge matches aren't given time. Yeah, I I do agree with you to an extent. I still think that this movie was well done. I think that there are a lot of good moments still. I just think the movie is two hours and 37 minutes long. So it shouldn't feel like we're rushing this. I don't think it's as good as the first three, but I still gave it four out of five stars. Yeah, I gave it a 3.5 out of the five. I also did not like Ron being a bitch for like three quarters of the fucking movie. He's 14, Scott. You were a little bitch too when you were hey, 14. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I was a little bitch whoa, when I was 14. We were whoa. all little bitches when we were 14, guys, okay? Whoa. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay, are you going to expand on the whoa or are you just going to say whoa? I was a delight. I I know, honey. I dated you when you were 14. You were such a delight. Such a delight. Anyway, next How week. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> next week, I will be showing Scott a movie that is near and dear to my, my little heart. It's an early 2000s movie, so you know it's going to be amazing. <laughs> oh, no. But until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our rock and roll super duper movie adventure.